Him and Miguel Sano combined for 500 strikeouts this year. Do you want to who? Do you want to know who's number five on next year's 2022 cap number for the Green Bay Packers? If the Wild did enough at the trade deadline to become legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. You want? Do you want to have some more joy in your heart? Super fast. the offense and the throwing of the football, of course. We, it, sound, it smells like an over-under to me. Sell fake stocks of their company and they're just asking for donations. Baseball, more than any other sport, is the most American way to make money that there is. This is the one thing I don't like about the NFL is all the divas that we have. And hello, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time of day it is. Thank you so much for being part of this wonderful, whatever day it is you're listening to this, this wonderful, wonderful day. And if you are a Minnesota sports fan, it has truly been some wonderful times in your life we're seeing things that have never happened before as long as i've been alive we we have minnesota teams that seem like they are actually interested in winning interested in acquiring talent from outside of the state outside of of traditional means this is i've heard it before this must be this must be what it's like to be an LA fan. This must be what it's like to be a Boston fan. This must be what it's like to be a destination city. Every single team, besides the Timberwolves, which, let's be honest, are irrelevant, have gone so far out of their way to add major talent. It makes me so excited for the calendar year that will be 2022. I'm excited. I'm joined, of course, with my best friend, my main man, Mitchell. Mitchell, how are you feeling? You know, <clears throat> I hate this reference, but I'm going to use it because I think it's fitting. I feel like a kid on Christmas morning, my friend. And we'll, we'll, ju- we'll dive right in. Biggest <laughs> news, biggest news to come out of Minnesota, like Minnesota teams, Minnesota just generally... I was still awake when I got the notification. No, I scrolled across my phone about 1.15 in the morning. Twins signed Carlos Correa to three-year deal worth $105 million. Initial reaction, what was yours? Um, you know, I, I was obviously surprised. Uh, at first glance, I'm like, no absolute way, right? Um, but I knew we were going for a shortstop, and I knew that with the moves that the Twins had made that that we were gunning for it. So we were going for it, right? Um, somehow or another, we were going to try to get a, a decent shortstop into our, into our clubhouse. Now, with that being said, Correa was the last shortstop I thought, I thought we'd go for. And then... Um, you know, to hear that um, they had the opt-outs brought me down just a little bit, but still nonetheless, super excited about the season and 
what I truly hope and, and what I, I'm, I'm thinking is going to happen. If he's going to love it here and, um, you know, he, he's had a couple rings, right? Like he, he's, I think he's going to want to stay here. So that, that's what I'm hoping for. Let's, let's talk about the contract a little bit. Three years, $105.1 million, highest paid infielder in baseball. It's a three-year deal. It's a, it, it's really a one-year deal. There's opt-outs after every single year. Let's not, let's not, let's call a spade a spade and not try to pretend like Correa doesn't have all of the power in this deal. If, if Correa comes out, hits 300, 30 home runs, gets 20 steals, he's bolting after the first year. But you know what? I'm okay with it. I'm I am so unbelievably okay with it. Like this is this is if if we want to go this route, this is a marriage out of necessity. Correa wanted to be wanted to get paid, and he did. Absolutely no question about it. He got paid. The Twins needed a shortstop. I mean, if if, if this is what it takes, if it takes handing the player all of the power in the contract to get star players here to make it feel like you're actually trying to win a championship. I'm so okay with it that I, I it's unbelievable. I do not care what the, what the, the parameters of the contract are. I am just excited that for the first time in my life, the, it feels like the twins are trying to win a championship and they're not just okay with filling a stadium. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not quite to your level. And the only reason why, and I know it's taking time and I know this off season and spring training and after the lockout has been a frenzy, but the only thing I'm, I'm just waiting for is that what else are we going to do? Because we can't, you, you can't go into the season with our starting pitching the way it is and think that we're going to actually compete. Um, could we out hit people? Yeah. Can we out pitch people? No, no, we can't. And you know, one thing that, <sighs> You just never see, um, especially with the Minnesota Twins. But what potentially could happen, which I would be super excited about, is we have at least uh, two or three starting pitchers in the minors that could impact our club now. And But with, with starting pitching, you want to take them slow, one level a year type of thing. And if you're not doing one level a year, you're, you're maybe... You know, you've already touched on double A the year before, so then you spend half your year in double A again, and then you hit triple A, right? So pitchers seem to be brought along at a slower pace than than any position, which makes sense. But man, I'm telling you, if if uh, the Twins bring up Johan Duran and you bring up uh, you know Winder, and maybe you even you know get to someone like um, uh, Matt Canarino, and you have all those kids up. That would be insanely exciting for me to see as a Twins fan. But um, yeah, I'm with you. I'd rather have Korea one year than not, right? So absolutely fantastic. Um, and did you did you see the bit uh, about him wanting 35.1 so that he could be over uh, Anthony Rendon's 35 flat? Did see that bit? And uh, <laughs> interesting part, fun fact. Do you know who Anthony Rendon? And uh, Carlos Correa are represented by agent wise. Oh, I'll give you, you I'll give you, you one know. guess. I'll it's give you Boris. one guess. It's Boris. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Boris. No question about it. And that man, he I mean, not that he wasn't already, but is the most powerful sports agent in sports. There is I don't know if I could honestly tell you one other sports agent by name. And I mean, you're talking about somebody who represents the top of the cream of the crop of the MLB. It's the, the, the pole that that man has is 
unbelievable. But um, yeah, you know, you mentioned the reference those uh, young starting pitchers that the Twins have. I mean, and they've they've been showing it too. Just the it's spring training, okay? So we always have to pump the brakes on spring training, and I get that. But um, you referenced it in our little pre pre show production meeting that we've got. They were shutting down some, uh, you know, essentially the lineups that both Tampa Bay and Boston are going to be sending out on opening day. Shut them down. I think both of both uh, Josh Winder and Bailey Ober, Bailey Ober, the six foot eight behemoth, um, held them held both starting lineups to zero runs, maybe one hit, one or two hits, but you know for the most part held their own and looked the part of a major league starter again. Spring training, pump the brakes a little bit, make sure we keep that in mind. But, you know, it is it is quite incredible just the way that they have been able to develop those pitchers so often that so often that's not the case, right? So often we see these twi- the twins develop a pitcher and then they and then just flame out for whatever reason in the major leagues, but you know, I I've, I've got hope that uh Derek Falvey, Thad Levine can maybe maybe go about it a different way get these homegrown kids to not only stay and perform, but perform at a high level. Um, I'm, I'm so excited for baseball to be back. Yeah, man, I, I'm with you. And I, I love watching <clears throat> spring training this year. And, and I, I've liked to watch spring training in years past. Um, but it, it's, it's always the same flow for me to be, to be truthful, where I'll watch the first couple games. Cause it's baseball's back. Right. But then I kind of drop somewhere, off. Somewhere has um, green grass. Yeah. And then I drop off and I don't really pay attention or watch too much. And then I'll start paying attention about the last week of spring training again when, when you know, you, your roster is pretty much formed and maybe there's only like one or two, you know, like the 24th and 25th roster spots are up for, for grabs and that's about it, right? So I'll watch the first couple, not really watch it, and then, you know, I'll, I'll tune in later. That That's just how I go. And, and it, I think it's more of just, I think – Spring training is such a, a great thing to do in person, but I don't know a whole lot of baseball fans that are watching, you know, all, you know, however many spring training games there are in, in entirety. And um, you, you don't want to burn yourself out too much. We, we already have six months of baseball, right? But um, this year, I find myself paying a lot closer attention every game. Um, and, and it's just, uh, maybe it's the lockout, maybe it's, um, the lack of success with Minnesota sports teams. I don't know, but I'm just excited <laughs> for the, the twins twin season. And, um, you know, like you said, Josh Winder going up against uh, the Red Sox regulars, uh, two innings, two hits, one walk, striking out three, uh, no runs. And again, two innings. And you expect, like you said, right, you expect pitching to be ahead of hitting early in spring training. But I would fully expect, especially if the twins don't make another move, I fully expect winter to be up uh, in the rotation within the first month of the season. So. Yeah. And I mean, uh, so I want to, I want to talk specifically about this twins infield because this twins infield has, has the potential to be very dangerous going, going forward into the season. Um, Urshela Gio or yeah. Gio Urshela, excuse me, forgot a first name there for a second. But the Twins make the move uh, earlier in the offseason. Trade Josh Donaldson, um, Ben Rortvet, and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. 
who was on their team for, oh, about 14 seconds before they shipped him over to the Yankees. But they make that trade. And so now I imagine you're going to have Urshela at third. You've got Carlos Correa at short. Polanco moves over to second, which is going to be a better fit for him. He won't be such a defensive liability. And, all right, if you're a sports fan, Miguel Sano, but, like, imagine Miguel Sano hitting two, just hitting 220 and moonshots every other game. So, like, this is a Twins infield that has the potential to really carry the brunt until the pitching gets figured out and they – inevitably end up trading Austin Barton or Royce Lewis for Frankie Montez out of Oakland. Yeah. The infield is, is, you know, one of the best infields of my life as a twins fan. And that's going back to, you know, me paying attention probably. Oh, right around the turn of 2000. Right. So, um, back to Corey Koski at third base, uh, and, and Chris, Christian Guzman at shortstop, right? That's a fake name. So, uh, you look it up, Corey Koski, he's a beast. Um, I think his number was number 47. Uh, but, um, he's a big old Canadian, kind of like Justin Marneau, but he played third base. It's hilarious. You should, you should go watch a clip, Joe. But, um, for, for me, you just look at the infield as a whole. It's gotta be the best infield the twins has had in, in recent memory. Um, and you know, besides Buxton and, and center, you, you almost think to a certain extent uh, Kepler and Kirilov are our weaker links um, when it comes to offense. Now, I think Kirilov has another gear in him that he can hit. We'll see if he hits it. Uh, Kepler had a really down year. Um, and even going back into um, the year before, he kind of struggled just a little bit. So, I mean, if Kepler can get back to, you know, 2018, 2019, Max Kepler, you know, it could be very, very good year for the Minnesota Twins offensively. And, um, We'll see what happens with Sanchez. I don't think that he's going to be behind the plate very much. Uh, he's going to DH a lot, which, which is my you, biggest. Yeah, go for it. I'm going to tell you right now what happens with Sanchez. Him and Miguel Sano combined for 500 strikeouts this year, but <laughs> co- but managed to hit 80 home runs. I, I, that's I don't know. It sounds it smells like an over under to me, Joe. I think we should make an over under on that. Not maybe maybe <laughs> next show before the season starts. But um, I, I don't know if I'd pick the over or under on that. <laughs> um, but the, the 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 question mark for me is the catcher spot. Um, so that's that's where I'm at with the club. Is absolutely love the infield. I think our outfield has room to improve uh, with with uh, you know maybe a comeback year for Kepler and. Kirilov showing that he can be consistent, um, but just it's baseball. That's all I got to say. Who are you trading for for either Sean Monet or Frankie Montas? Are you trading Royce Lewis or are you trading Austin Martin? Pick one right now. Royce Lewis. How dare you? Royce <laughs> Lewis is a fir- was the first overall pick in that draft. Shame on you. <laughs> all right. Baseball's back. We're excited. They finally settled their petty differences the owners and the players union and got back into it thank goodness there was and we won't get into this too much but there was definitely a point where i was like we're not gonna have baseball this year and i had i had almost made peace with that decision but i'm so excited that baseball is back april 7th opening day uh 
first litmus test for the Twins, in my opinion. Second series, they got a home uh, two-game stint against the Dodgers. Um, I can't wait for that. Very excited for baseball in general. Um, I, I feel they, you buying tickets. That's what I feel like. You buying uh, some tickets? Uh, not yet. I'm, it's definitely, I'm definitely going to more than one game this year, though, for sure. All right. It has. It is our is our free agent uh, bonanza, free agent palooza. The Twins are not the only team that is making moves. Uh, the Vikings have been busy on the free agent wire as well, signing to Z- Zadarius Smith, somebody who was injured last year for the Packers. But um, man, when he's healthy, you pair him and Daniil Hunter, uh, Harrison Phillips on that on the in the center of that new three four defense that. Um, Defensive coordinator is very important, and I'm sure that that's a position that's been filled with a name that is escaping me at the moment. But, you know, it's it's going to be a good defensive line, too. Um, Zadarius Smith to the Vikings, paired him with Daniil Hunter, who's not leaving, and pay him his $18 million that he is owed. Excited, scared, overpaid $15 million a year for Zadarius. What, what, what's your opinion? Well, here's where I sit with the the Minnesota defense at this current time is that we're, the the unknown, of course, like you just said, is the defensive coordinator, and what is it going to look like? And and obviously he he's run both a four three and a three four in the past. Um, notably, you know, has kind of said, "Hey, we're going to probably run a three four here uh, in in Minnesota." But what I'm a little bit worried about is you're spending all this money in the defensive line and, and linebackers. Who's going to cover people? And, and in today's NFL, with the offense and the throwing of the football, of course, when you can't cover, it does not matter if you can get to the quarterback in a, in a couple of seconds because all you got to do is do shotgun, couple-step drop, you get it out 10 yards down the field, you need to be able to cover. So I'm a little nervous throwing. about spending- <laughs> the throwing of the football. What is going on in this play? They are uh, the throwing of the football. The throwing of the football. That's right. The throwing of the football. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like to mix it up a little bit. You know that. So. Oh, I I know. Yeah. Um. The 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 defensive back situation is is one that is I think. And, and, oh boy, it, does it pain me to say this, but is one that I think is going to be addressed in the draft but here's good here's here's where i'm going with this right so would you rather sign corners in free agency and draft some linebackers or would you rather sign linebackers in free agency and draft cornerbacks because for me i would much rather draft linebackers yeah what's your your take i is what i'm i'm with you i would rather draft linebackers because it does seem like corners, it takes them a year or two to kind of catch up to NFL receivers. You know, when you're in college, you might be covering an NFL guy once or twice a season. But when you're in the NFL, you're covering an NFL guy every week. So you're you're dealing with crafty veterans who have been around the block. You're dealing with people who are who are veterans who have been doing this for a long time who even going so far as to know the tendencies of the referees of what flags they will and won't call what they will and won't throw flags on and 
corners have to adjust to that on the fly. Um, we've seen it here in Minnesota where uh, Xavier Rhodes, he was kind of came along slowly, had a kind of a breakout year, was one of the best corners in the game for a few years. And then he kind of fell off the precipitous cliff. Uh, Trey Waynes, similar situation. Harrison Hand, jury's still out on him. But, I mean, the the the, the way that it goes is exactly the same, where corners just seem to develop at a slower rate than linebackers. And I think a lot of it has to do with just linebacker mentality, see ball, hit ball. Um, there's not a lot of thinking that goes with being a linebacker. See ball, hit ball. Corner, there's a lot of reactionary things that happen, um, you know, on, on every single given play. So I'm with you. I, would, I think I would rather be drafting linebackers, or yeah, drafting linebackers and signing corners. Interestingly enough, as soon as I find the tweet, um, there's a lot of good corners who are still available. Um, let me find it real quick, and I'm just going to buffer here. Yep, um, so the um, the recent article I just saw today was that <clears throat> it's very likely that Stinger Jr. and both Sauce Gardner are going to be gone by the time Vikings get to 12. So the clear-cut third cornerback is a kid out of Washington, and I don't remember his name exactly at the moment, but that's what an article was saying that I was, I was reading. And, and we'll see. The draft can be the draft, right? You can have some teams trade up into that top 10 um, and, and make it interesting. But obviously, Sauce Gardner or, or Derek Stingler Jr. from LSU, either one of those is a home run pick for the Vikings at 12. Um, actually in the article, and I thought this was hilarious, but, uh, it was mentioned that, um, Adolfo Mensa better have his running shoes on to run up to the podium. If one of those are there at 12. <laughs> so, uh, here it is from, uh, Declan Goff, another Minnesota, um, content creator, media guy, but, uh, so top unsigned top unsigned cornerbacks and their grades, Stefan Gilmore at 77.1. According to PFF, Steven Nelson, Bryce Callahan, Jack rabbit Jenkins, Robert Alford and Patrick Peterson, Patrick Peterson on the Vikings. Uh, he's made it very clear. He wants to come back, but I, I don't know about paying $10 million for somebody who's on the, on the wrong side of 30. Um, it, it, Ed Donatel, by the way, I looked up the Minnesota defensive coordinator. It's Ed Donatel. I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that was a position that had been filled. Never heard this guy's name before in my life. Uh, Minnesota defense is going to be interesting. I, I think a lot of it is going to come down to they spent big on the pass rush. Um, talking $18 million dedicated to, to Daniil Hunter. Hopefully he can stay healthy. That's been his biggest crutch. Um Harrison Phillips in the middle, they're spending, you know, $9 million a year on him. And then uh, Zadarius Smith, who's getting, you know, $14 million on the other side. So hopefully that the pass rush can generate some pressure and, you know, a good pass rush can make up for a bad secondary and then vice versa as well. A good secondary can make up for a bad pass rush. You know, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting. I'm hopeful for the Vikings, but I also realize that they're running the SPAC with like the exact same personnel, essentially, um, at least offensively. So while I'm hopeful, I'm also realistic in knowing that this is more likely to be a nine win team than it is to be a 13 win team. And that makes me really sad. Well, and I know that that's just what the NFL does. Okay. 
But the issue that I'm having is converting all these signing bonuses to, or, you know, these uh, roster bonuses to signing bonuses. And then you gain all this cap space. And it's just like, well, let's, let's, pay, let's pay these free agents a lot more than maybe what we should to fit in our cap structure. But then we'll just convert signing bonuses uh, or roster bonuses to signing bonuses later on. The fact is that still hurts your salary cap with with dead money i don't know if they call it dead money but it still goes on the books for the next couple of years once you do that so you're just passing off savings now but you're making yourself tighter in years in the years to come and people will say well the caps the cap will go up the cap will go up yeah i get that but i i'm a little surprised with the numbers guy that uh, adolfo mensa is where i'm thinking that he's going to try to lean towards hey i want to keep those books in the next couple of years as clean as I can because I want the most room that I can. And for him to be doing that uh, now is is slightly concerning for me, but I also understand that Minnesota really had no choice with what the prior regime has had, had done with those contracts. So uh, that was just a little tidbit that I saw that I was just kind of a little irritated about. Well, and yeah, you talk about being over the cap. Um, fun fact, do you know? So, all right. For those who don't know, the the way the NFL works is the last day of the league season is uh, Super Bowl Sunday. The new league starts, uh, I think it's March 1st. Um, on March 1st, the New Orleans Saints were, the, were as over the cap as anybody in the NFL has ever been in history. Mitchell, do you know what their over the cap number was? Um, let me just throw a number out there and I'm going to say 42 million. You're like halfway there. They were $77 million over the cap because <laughs> they, were, oh. they were doing exactly what you said. Uh, how about we pay you tomorrow? No, no, no. Yeah. You're going to get all your money right now, but we're, we're like, we're going to, you're going to count on our cap tomorrow. Uh, Drew Brees, you're going to count on our cap tomorrow. Uh, Alvin Kamara, you're going to count on our cap tomorrow. And then tomorrow finally came for the saints and they woke up one day and like, it was like, uh, we're $70 million over the cap and the salary cap, the NFL, 200 and 207 million dollars as high as it's ever been. Just, I understand that like, for the most part, the salary cap isn't, it's not really a hard number. But there comes a point where it becomes a hard number and it becomes a point where tomorrow finally comes and it's like, uh, yeah, we're 70 million over the cap. <laughs> let's, let's, let's go ahead and find a way to figure that out. And I would love to be in the Saint in the New Orleans Saints salary crap room where it's like, who are we converting today? Like, how are we doing this? What's happening? I imagine it's like darts. You're just throwing darts at like the highest paid players where it's like, and you're just calling them. Hey, uh, can, can we either take, will you take a pay cut or can we cut you? Like, which one is it? And then, yeah, do you want to resign tomorrow for $2 million less? Like, it, it, it is mind-boggling to me how uh, a professional sports <clears throat> league has a hard cap, but yet they allow the type of contracts that they do. And um, I really wish they'd morph a little bit into somewhat of kind of what hockey does where if you get released and caught you still count towards the cap a decent amount um and it would just it would limit some of the finagling that some of these gms do and the idea behind the cap is you only spend so much right so then when you allow your teams to spend more than that 
it doesn't make any sense then. Why even have a cap at that point? So, and, and I get it. Like, we want to be able to pay these players as much as they're worth. Like, we'd rather have the players have the money than the owners. I get that. Um, but I just don't necessarily like the way that the NFL does their cap. And uh, like you said, right, you you paying tomorrow or you're paying today, but it's on the books for tomorrow. What's that going to cause, Joe? That's going to cause you eventually to not be able to sign uh, LaShawn Lattimore, for example, right? Um, right. So Jack Rabbit that's, Jenkins. That's, un, that's unfortunate. It's... It is, but it, it makes for great content when when the <laughs> situations like this come up, and it's it's laughable. It's just how do you how do you allow yourself to get into this situation? I just, I mean, the Vikings ran it too. I think they were thirteen million over the cap uh, on that March first day, but you know, thirteen right, so thirteen million is not seventy seven. We'll, we'll anyway. do a quick we'll do a quick trivia. <clears throat> Who has the most cap room as of today? I have it up pulled up right now oh this will be fun so they've got to have a rookie a quarterback on a rookie deal number one um they also have to have been i i, I don't want to say bad but moderately bad because they're not going to have many acquired players or anything like that i'm going to go with the miami dolphins well, they did just trade for Tyreek and give him a big, big deal. Yeah. So Miami, Miami Dolphins actually are up against the cap. They're just a hair under. So there's a different – on this website, I love this website actually. So if anybody wants to check this out, it's uh, spottrack.com forward slash NFL forward slash cap. Spottrack is – yep, S-P-O-T-R-A-C. Uh, anyways, there's uh, different uh, filters you can use, but you can filter via the top 51 players because in the NFL you have a 53-man roster, uh, but you only 51 of those count for your cap each week. So they do have a filter for the top 51. When you do the top 51, the Carolina Panthers have the most cap space of any team. But when you do all, uh, no matter what, all, all salaries and, and all contracts taken into account, the Chicago Bears are number one. Guess who is number two? Cincinnati Bengals. Imagine making the Super Bowl and having $21 million in cap space. Imagine making the Super Bowl and not having an indoor practice facility. <laughs> the Cincinnati Bengals practice outdoors in a city with four seasons, boys and girls. Just joke of an organization. I don't care where they're at. They're, they, are, they are a joke of an organization. So this website, by the way, has the NBA, Major League Baseball, has NHL. You can see any team and what their cap numbers are at any given moment. It's fantastic. It is fantastic. And since we're talking about caps, let's go back to baseball for just a second. And you and I were talking about something that baseball got incredibly, incredibly wrong when it comes to their collective bargaining agreement. And that is not having a salary cap, not having a salary floor. Baseball, baseball more than any other sport. And I, I have maintained this for a long time. Baseball more than any other sport is the most American way to make money that there is you in baseball with no salary cap, no, 
no terms on how long a contract can be, no terms on how much a contract can be. You are strictly worth what somebody is willing to pay you. It is the most American way to make money ever. You're never overpaid in baseball because you are worth what somebody was willing to pay you. When we look at the disparity between the highest paid team, like the highest paid, the highest salary team in baseball, the dot, uh, well, it's actually the Mets on their 26 man payroll. It's $243 million and the lowest team, the Baltimore Orioles at 24.7 million, which it's a nice, even 24.7 million. I'm pretty sure that's some kind of like bare bones, minimum bottom dollar that we're allowed to spend on some 26 man roster. You're talking about an Orioles team that is more than 10 times below the Mets that like just if you don't if you as an owner as a billionaire owner aren't actively trying to put a winning product on the field that's when somebody should step in and force you to sell your team yeah you saw you saw the tweet from um oh gosh what is his name now was it Kyle Schwarber did Schwarber tweet it or someone someone similar tweeted that it's just a disgrace uh, and and it, it's like sell your team if you're not going to show your fan base you actually care. You congratulations on on being one of the thirty wealthiest people in America that you can afford a sports team. If you're putting yourself in that situation, I get it that you view everything as a business. Sports are a business, but they are like the weirdest business that you can ever imagine because they have fans who are like so ingrained into the fabric of what sports are you owe it to them to put a winning damn product on the field no matter what your sport is i i hate that the orioles can, are going to play this entire year the entire year for a salary for a 25 million dollar salary Max Scherzer is making more than that per start. Here's the problem that I see with the Baltimore Orioles. And it's downright disgusting. They have, uh, let's see, one, two, three players making more than $1 million. Actually, okay, Jorge Lopez is at 1.5. But um, besides his 1.5, they have four players making more than $1.5 million. And, you know, two of them are washed up older pitchers in Jordan Lyles and John Means. John Means had a no-hitter last year, but John Means isn't going to, to go 15-5, and five, right? And if so, John Means has an ERA below four at any point this year, he won't be an Oriole anymore. Correct. Yeah. Well, except for he still has arbitration status and has a couple of waiver options. So maybe they will keep him (laughs) and keep him at his, you know, I'm, I don't want to think someone's got to pitch for him. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, Just put, do it, do it the right way. All I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Play like get your money as a player, get your money. Absolutely. And at the same time, Every single sport should have a hard salary cap. None of this, none of this, 
oh yeah, it's a salary cap, but like you, if it's a sal- if it's a signing bonus, it doesn't count. If it's a, if it's this, it doesn't count. Uh, you can make it count for that, you know, tomorrow. You know, and 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 again, the NFL does have a salary floor. Uh, the NFL salary floor, I think, is 110, 120 million, somewhere in that, somewhere in that range. So, I mean, all sports, every single sport should have a salary, a hard salary cap that says, uh, no, you're not spending more than this amount of money. Like, all of your players combined are not going to equal having paid, been made, paid, whatever, this amount of money. Just like on the floor, all of your players combined have to make this amount of money. I, I, hate, I hate that baseball missed that opportunity. Yeah, and it just it would have allowed uh, more competitiveness. And I think we talked about this on an earlier episode uh, here on our show where, you know, I personally fully believe that if you put a salary floor in, in place and, and you, you've got to structure it to where the owners don't feel like they're losing a bunch of their profits, right? So it has to be structured in some way where, you know, the competitive balance tax pays for the salary floor. And so... The owners no longer get that money in their pockets now, right? And just they're not going to be able to just do whatever they want with the revenue sharing. The revenue sharing actually has to go back in to pay the players' salaries. Then, what? Like, why would why wouldn't you want to take the revenue sharing from the teams who just are are raking in the cash and go put that money into other players' salaries? And people are like, well, that's not fair because you're helping other teams win. The point I'm trying to make is competitiveness breeds interest when you have more interest breeds more money when you have again additionally more money the owners are eventually going to make their money back when you have a competitive league like that when 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 you don't have you know in in gosh bless the giants right but you don't have the giants winning in you know 2010 12 and 14 and then the Dodgers, you know, winning in, in whatever it was, 17, 18, and 20. Or, you know, I'm just making stuff up now on the fly. But just the, the fact that you can sit here at baseball and point to over the last, you know, 12 years, there's been however many franchises to win. In my estimation, in my mind, you should have eight or nine of those teams win in the last 12 years. That's how you get a, a wildly interested and successful league. Um, now dynasties, dynasties are fun. Dynasties are cool. I get it. But if you relay that to the NFL and then to the Kansas city chiefs, you could arguably say that they're a dynasty making four straight AFC title games and, and, you know, winning a super bowl in there and, um, you know, what they have with, with Patrick Mahomes. But I would say a dynasty is more considerate of actually winning titles, you know, uh, three in a span of five years, I would consider a dynasty, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of the parameters I've always thought of is uh, three in five years, three championships in five years. Um, winning builds a culture, a, a, a culture of success. But if you want to get into what it means to have a dynasty in in sports, it's championships. No question about it. It is it is putting championships in the trophy case. Um, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Tyreek Hill because I, I, I want to touch on this just briefly as an NFL as a whole. This offseason has been bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Every, nobody wants to stay where they are. 
everybody sees the grass being greener on the other side and it is it is amazing you brought up Tyreek Hill and he got uh for those who live you know in Iraq or don't follow the <laughs> NFL and are deciding to listen to this thank you so much we appreciate you um but Tyreek Hill was traded from the Chiefs to the to the Dolphins and I mean if if I'm if I'm going to trade for the fastest player in the NFL because that's what Tyreek Hill is. He's the fastest player in the NFL. And I don't even really think there's a close second. Uh, I, I would have given up at least two first round picks. Instead, the Chiefs get, I think it was a one, a three, a four this year. And then a five and a six next year. So essentially, Tyreek Hill gets traded for a washing machine. And I was very confused when I saw it. I, I definitely was... You know, Tyree you know when, I, when I first saw it, my initial reaction, uh, Joe, was that that's that's what you get when you give all that money to Mahomes. Um, but looking into it closer, and and this is <clears throat> this is the one thing I don't like about the NFL is all the divas that we have. Um, you don't see these divas in the NHL typically. Uh, you, there, there might be a couple. You, you don't really see these divas in Major League Baseball that often either. Um, but football, you get a bunch of them. And I don't understand it. Uh, basketball, you, they're everywhere. Okay, But um, I don't understand why football. Uh, but regardless, Tyreek Hill asked for a trade, did not want to sign an extension because the Chiefs would not give him a better money deal than Devontae Adams just got with the Raiders. Yeah, I, I saw that too. Uh, let me go ahead and correct myself. Uh, Tyreek Hill traded for 2022 first round pick, number 29 overall, the a second round pick and a fourth round pick, and then fourth and sixth round picks in 2023. Again, I mean, when you're comparing Tyreek Hill to all of those picks, five picks and all, washing machine. Yeah, you know, again, players, get your money, but... You're going like if you're Tyree Kill, you're going from Patrick Mahomes to Tua Tagovailoa, and and no, no, the jury's still out on Tua. But if you're, I mean, even just from a cultural standpoint, would you rather go from Kansas? Would you rather like stay in Kansas City, where you've made four straight NFC Championship games? You know the 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 standard of success that exists there. Or would you rather go to Miami, who hasn't been to a Super Bowl in the, since the '80s? Hasn't made the? Did they make the playoffs last year? I, I forget. I think, I think the Dolphins missed because of the Raiders and Chargers. So I mean, you're talking about a team that hasn't made the playoffs in in quite a while. I just, I, I, I personally, I don't understand it. I don't. Um, I, I mean. I think some of these players have to come out and be honest with themselves and be honest with, with the media. Everybody says the right thing in front of the podium when the microphone's on them, that they're about winning, that they're about trying to be successful. And I think, I think a lot of these athletes need to be honest with themselves that they're about money. They're about getting theirs. And, and that's, I, I don't blame you for that. That is, that is what you should be doing, looking to do. You should be looking to capitalize on your athleticism, looking to capitalize on working your entire life to getting this point. Just don't lie about it. B 
be honest with yourself. Be honest with the people around you that I'm trying to get paid as much money as I can in the time that I have. Winning championships is nice, but winning championships is second compared to making money. The other example I have of this is Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott, for a little bit there, was the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Does he deserve it? I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Um, you know, and, and I just don't think that a lot of athletes and a lot of people are, are being honest with themselves. The one person who I think was about winning and who unretired recently is Tom Brady. Like, never a top 10 paid highest quarterback in the NFL. He was always taking pay cuts for the good of the team. I mean, when, when, you, when, you're, when your actions and your words don't line up, I think it does fall on, on the media to hold people accountable. And a lot of these people's actions and words don't line up. They're not, they're not being honest and they are about getting paid. And again, no qualms about it. Just be honest about it. Yep. No, I hear you. So <clears throat> Tyreek Hill uh, then proceeds to, with the Dolphins, sign a contract better than Devontae Adams' total cash flow. And uh, now he's happy. So he's no longer as a diva. But he was a diva for a couple days, which is, again, just going back to my point of just it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, I am intrigued with Tyreek Hill's cap hit, uh, which apparently they're going to try to already do some editing, you know, maybe next offseason for his, <laughs> for his cap, cap number next year. But his cap number next year is uh, $31.2 million. Um, in 2024, it goes uh, or goes down to just a shy under 25, but he has dead cap money of 15, so it's arguably 49 million. And then in 2025, his cap hit is 28 million, but dead cap is 10, so it's a total of 38. But Man, um, Tua, just Tua yeah, is crazy still numbers. Tua is still on a rookie deal, so uh, he's going to need to get paid at some point. And uh, when you, once you start adding a quarterback into that salary cap money, I, I mean, I I don't. I, again, it's just going to be one of those uh, Tyree Kill. You're going to get paid today, but it's going to be on the books for tomorrow. Yeah. I, and I think Tua is better than what he's showed, but I also don't think that he's ever going to be a top ten to top fifteen quarterback either. That's my personal opinion. But the. Um, the market value has him at when he's a free agent to be right around the 33 million mark, which at that time, it's probably going to be top 15 to top 20 money. It's no longer going to be top five or top eight money. Like it has been the last couple of years. So the other NFL, I I want to talk about, I want to express a pure joy that is, is going to wash over me as I fill your airwaves. <laughs> I hate the Packers. I've grown up hating the Packers. I've grown up just despising everything that is Wisconsin. And if you're listening to this in Wisconsin, I'm sure you're cool, but the Packers as a whole are a terrible organization and they sell fake stocks of their company and they're just asking for donations. Stop telling people they're owners of teams and just say what it is. You're asking for $300 donations. Okay, there's that. Aaron Rodgers signs a three-year, $150 million deal, becomes the highest-paid player in NFL history. Awesome. 
The Packers were so focused on keeping Aaron Rodgers happy that they forgot about Devontae Adams. And when Devontae Adams gets traded to the Raiders, there was there was so much happiness that filled my heart. <laughs> I I'm so happy. I'm I'm such a happy, happy man right now. I don't we don't have to see that damn Devonte Adams, Aaron Rodgers connection anymore. And do you I, want? Do you want to have some more joy in your heart, super fast? I I want all of the joy. Okay, to just wash so, over me. Aaron Rodgers, number one for cap hit. David Bakhtiari, number two. Jair Alexander, number three. Okay. Preston Smith, number four. Do you want to who? Do you want to know who's number five on next year's 2022 cap number for the Green Bay Packers? Please tell me it's Zadarius Smith who's going to Smith. who is going to be hurting Aaron Rodgers, and I can't wait. It's Zadarius Smith at number five. <laughs> Zadarius Smith is gonna be counting against the Packers cap when he sacks Aaron Rodgers four times. That is glorious. Yes, and we just laugh like little schoolgirls, which is fine because it's our show. Oh my goodness. I just I needed I needed to express that and I'm so happy. M- Mitchell, there's okay, and maybe I said that was the last NFL thing, but there's one more thing that I just I want your take on, I want your help explaining this to me. Okay. Okay, Robert Woods gets traded from the Rams, and again, granted, he tore his ACL, but uh, go ahead and this isn't the this isn't the 1940s anymore. People come back from that injury. What round of a draft pick would you have traded Robert Woods? Would you have traded for Robert Woods? Well, for me, and I'm a you know me, I'm a numbers person. I'm, I'm, I try to be so logical and take emotion out of it. Right. Or, or even like I take the names out of it and I try to look at stats specifically names can get you in trouble if you're just looking at names. Right. But you hear Robert Woods, you think fantasy football, you think the Rams who just won the Super Bowl, but do you really know the actual player? Right. And so for me, um, I'm looking at the player a little more in depth. And then I have to look at the salary cap because you you can you can want the player all you want, but if it crunches you and you can have roughly the same production for half the cap hit, you know what I'm saying? So so there's a lot of factors in there, right? But with Robert Woods and his cap hit, uh, I think his dead cap money for the Rams this year is close to twelve million. Um, as as the Vikings, I don't want any of that. Um, because our cap situation and what we have going on. And quite frankly, and I know I, I sent you this uh, little clip the other day, but the Vikings have three of the best, arguably three of the best four receivers left in the NFC North. Um, and so I'm sitting here knowing that I have to pay Justin Jefferson. Adam Thielen just restructured his deal, but he's still on our team. And so if I'm, if I'm wanting Robert Woods, like, it's tough for me because I think it's going to hurt our cap situation and our team. So if that's the case, I'm not paying very uh, high for him for, for a draft pick. If you're talking about other teams like the Browns who have, or excuse me, the Bengals or Bears who have cap space, my, my philosophy is 
can you get a Robert Woods in the draft? Right? And so if I'm one of those teams, especially the Bengals with, with Burrow on his rookie deal and Jamar Chase on a rookie deal, wouldn't you want to give her a second or a third? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. So what I'm, what I'm talking about, Robert Woods was traded from the Rams to the Titans for a sixth-round pick. Yeah. I, I do not understand how teams <clears throat> value draft picks compared to players. This happened a little bit ago, a few years ago, when the Patriots traded Stephon Gilmore to the Panthers for a, I think it was a fifth or a sixth round pick. Stephon yep. Gilmore was somebody who had uh, who had won Defensive Player of the Year like within the last three years of being traded. I will never understand how player evaluations to draft picks ever make sense. And this isn't the first time this has happened this year. Amari Cooper gets traded for a fifth round pick, and they and then the Dallas and the Browns essentially swap swap sixes. But I just do, I will never understand, like, if, if, you, if you called other teams where it's like, hey, uh, Tennessee is offering us a sixth round pick for Robert Woods, I can't help but feel like one of the other teams would have been like, uh, we'll give you a five. And then you just parter that into uh, some calling another team where it's like, hey, uh, we'll give you a four. Hey, uh, we'll, we'll give you a three. Like, I just can't help but feel like somebody in the NFL would have paid more than a sixth for Robert Woods, who account by all accounts is an incredible teammate, great locker room guy. I do not understand the the draft pick to player evaluation process. I, I, yeah. I do not and get it. I, th- I don't think it's it's the the player to draft pick because there's the realistic value. But then there's the value that they get. And, and, I, and I think that that stems from, again, like I was just saying, it stems from the, this cap space you have on your team. It also stems from your positional needs uh, as well. And so, yeah, could you take on a contract like that um, and, and, and pay a, a fourth and be happy? And, and you know now you have a dynamite wide receiver set? Yeah, you can. But now what you've done... Joe, as you've limited now your ability to go sign a, you know, a couple of corners and an offensive lineman and whatever else. So like when, when, when NFL GMs are taking a look at, Oh, Robert Woods is available. Yeah, that's cool. But I, I can also go get Juju Smith Schuster uh, on, on a, on a one-year deal that's super cheap and get rel- relatively the same production or, or maybe slightly lower. Right. But I'm not needing Juju to be my second wide receiver. I need Juju to be my third or fourth. And so when you look at Robert Woods, like if you're going to acquire Robert Woods, you want him to probably be your number two. But if you don't have a number two slot open and you're going to start, you're going to slot him into the third or fourth, I might as well go find a different third or fourth and pay them the value of a, thir- a third or fourth wide receiver. So I think that, that the problem is in the NFL, and I think this relates to some other sports as well, but you only have so many suitors in the NFL because of other teams cap situations and other teams situations at wide receiver in this case. And, you know, in this case, positionally, you may only have three or four teams to trade him to. And because of that, his realistic value might be one thing, but the value you're actually going to get is just not going to be the the same. 
one of those three or four teams would have given you more than a six. I don't don't act like he like one of those teams wouldn't pony up more than a six. That's that's just I I would tend to agree with you. Absolutely. I'm not disagreeing. But at the same time, too, if you're just trying to do it quick because you're trying to sign someone tomorrow, right? Like, eh, that sucks. But and and but the other thing, and this is um a take for another day. But once you get past the 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 third slash into middle of the fourth, from there, it's a crapshoot anyways. Like a fifth or a sixth, does it really matter? Yeah, so why not take the for sure thing in Robert Woods, the the proven player? Like I just I, I, I don't understand it. I never will. And I and I, I wonder if it doesn't involve teams thinking that they're smarter than everybody else and being like, oh, well, yeah, but our fifth round pick is going to turn into a Hall of Famer. Yeah, well, statistically, you're wrong. So, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you be honest with yourself. <laughs> um, uh, and, and, and you got to think about other factors, too, where um, does Robert Woods want to be on your team? Does he want to be in your city? Does he want get, to get passes from your quarterback? And, you know, going from Stafford to Tannenhill, that's not too terrible, but some of the other teams we just talked about, some of the other two or three teams that could have done this, are you wanting to, are you trying to catch passes from Baker? We just know how that turned out, right? So I, I think there's more factors to it as well. There's just it's it's layers and layers, and we're not Shrek. We can't all be onions. All right. So all right. I promise that was the last NFL I want to talk about. I'm sorry. I love the NFL. I love talking everything about it. <laughs> um, I dropped my pen. The last thing, the and and again, we're trying to keep this at least locally themed to start all of these topics. So, uh, NHL trade line just passed. We're gonna. I'm gonna just ask questions for our resident hockey expert, and that's you. And I want to know if the Wild did enough at the trade deadline to become legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. Um, my quick reaction is yes. Let's go. <laughs> my Let's my go. my more reaction is honestly, you know. We'll see how this stretch run goes here, okay? But we've added um, a little more of a grittier forward in Delorier, Nicholas Delorier. He's a little bit grittier, um, is is hard to play against. He just, quite frankly, is is a good fit for playoff hockey, right? Was- Vers- versus someone who we had on our uh, fourth line, like Connor Duar or maybe Nick Bukestad or someone like that, where... Delorier is a playoff guy, right? We had John Middleton, which is almost the same exact thing, bigger body. He's a playoff banger. He's not going to be as flashy uh, of an offensive defense or an offensive defenseman like you'll see on some of our other defensemen like Dumba or Spurgeon or Burdine. But Middleton is going to shut down people in the playoffs. I want to and stop so him. yeah. Is Capo was I thought Capo Kakinen was like the goalie of the future. I like this was a dude who I, I thought had won like AHL goalie of the year and was somebody the wild were genuinely excited to have on their team. Did, I love the I love the question. 
did the wild just give away the future to win now? No. No. Let's go. Um, he, here's my take on this is that um and I, I told this to my brother actually, he was kind of asking kind of the same questions. You have the Capo Kakinen lovers, or you know, they see a young goalie and they're like, hey, he's just getting started. He's had some rough bumps here and there, but he's he's just gonna grow into you know, your goalie of the future, right? You you have those people who think that. But quite frankly, I'm a little bit of the opposite. And, and here's what I said to my brother, and I'll just kind of almost read this off to what I uh, what I messaged him. But um, what I say is Capel has shown some good signs, right? But only elite. I'm going to steal that from uh, Gophers head football coach. Uh, <laughs> only elite goalies are super consistent. Right, uh, we're, and, not, we're not worried about the we're rowing a boat. It's iced over. We're, we're talking hockey. Yeah, Come on, yeah, now. I get it, I get it. But what I go on to say is that hey, only elite goalies are super consistent, and that is maybe six to ten in the league each year, typically. So goalies in the ten to twenty five range uh, are all really good goalies. They can win some games single handedly for you. But the one constant is they remain uh, or they fail to remain consistent. Okay. And they'll have some bad stretches uh, of, you know, each year. So my whole thing is that Capo showed some really good attributes and had some really good games and, and, you know, showed some great signs, but he's just too inconsistent. And even for his age, you know, 24, going on 25, whatever he is, the fact is, is that if you're an elite goalie and you're going to be our goalie of the future, you would have shown signs of being an elite goalie, which those signs are consistency. And I didn't see that from him. So I don't think he ever becomes an elite goalie. So if he doesn't ever become an elite goalie, uh, this is kind of going back to my my football take of what can you get for a replacement that's of, of similar value, right? I fully believe that if Kapokakinen is going to be in that you know 10 to 25 range for goalies each year, He's easily replaced in that scenario. You're so logical and I love it. And I'm just going to speak from my heart. Mm-hmm. And I and was a capital lover. I loved everything about him, including his name. Like his name was great. The alliteration <laughs> was awesome. The name like Kakinen, like there's just all of it was so good. So I am, I am sad that he's gone. Um, but I'm, I'm going to let, I'm just gonna let you go. So Kakinen's gone for, for Jacob Middleton talking about big body defenseman, um, you know, Delorier scores in his first game with the wild. Like that's gotta be a good sign. I think. <laughs> yeah, I- I'm excited. And so I'm going back to, you know, what this team can do in the playoffs. We we have the offensive punch. We also have defensemen that, you know, our top four that can, you know, arguably shut down some people. So really the strength was, you know, we, we've, we've shown glimpses of depth all year, but we really need to be able to rely on our third pair of defensemen and really be able to rely on our fourth line to not give away the goals. And, and I was just talking about consistently, play, play a little more consistent. And so when you add Middleton to the lineup uh, to hopefully you know, not only be consistent himself, because he's been really super consistent this year himself, 
But what that does is that drives competition in, in the lineup because now one of somebody's going to be sitting. And tonight is Dmitry Kulikov. Um, you have John Merrill that could easily sit. And quite frankly, I've, in, in the things that I've been hearing, and, and I, I see it a little bit, um, but you know, Alex Goligoski could easily sit. So when, when you know somebody's going to be sitting uh, of those three, that just drives competition and makes other people better. So not only do I think that the rest of the regular season, our defense is going to just be, be on point, but it just drives competition and uh, it's going to be super good for us. Now with the Western Conference, um, you're really not scared of anybody other than Calgary and Colorado. And um, if you have to go against Colorado, the second round of the playoffs, Colorado is not deep. They don't have the best goaltending situation. All Colorado has is their dynamite first two lines. But if you can somewhat limit them and only let them score a couple of times in a night, and that's it, you have a shot to win that series because now you have Marc-Andre Fleury. If Marc-Andre Fleury can steal a game or two, the Wild win the series Are the, against is Colorado. The, is the Wild's plan in the playoffs to ride Marc-Andre Fleury to a Stanley Cup, or is it going to be more of a timeshare like it would be in the regular season? Um, <clears throat> I fully believe uh, that... I fully believe that you'll see Marc-Andre Fleury play every game unless he is not playing well, then you'll see Cam Talbot. But I fully believe that Marc-Andre Fleury is our goalie in the playoffs game one. And how, I mean, you, and this might be a question you don't have the answer to, but I mean, talk about not playing well. How do you define not playing well? Is it like, how long of a leash do you give Fleury? Somebody who has won three Stanley Cups. Well, I think going back to my whole, like, as an elite goalie, you're very consistent, right? So if you allow one bad goal game one, okay. Move past it, right? But if you give up a couple bad goals in game one, um, you may not start game two. Um, if you give up one bad goal in game one, one bad goal in game two, one bad goal in game three, and you're down now two to one, uh, 3-0, you're, you're playing Cam Talbot game four. But if you're down two to one and you've allowed some bad goals, then Cam Talbot's starting game four as well. But I fully believe that, and this is the reason why we brought him in, is to make the saves he needs to make all of them. Make all of the saves that you need to make. And then if you can steal some highlight reel saves and save a couple of goals, that's where you win a series, my friend. And, you th- and, and honestly, and, and I know that you're newer to hockey, meaning you, know, you didn't grow up with hockey, right? right? But just think about, do you think Cam Talbot steals you a game or two in the playoffs? Uh, let me think back to last year when, no, absolutely not. Um, I think that Cam Talbot is a, a good goalie, but I, I, it's hard for me with what I've seen, again, my, my limited hockey, knowledge hockey experience, to think that he would ever be the reason you win a championship. Right. So uh, I, um, I, I do think that, our depth on our third pair and our fourth line with our goalie is better than Colorado's Colorado's top flight couple of lines and their top pair 
defense can really score as well. So their top-end scoring is better than us. But our depth in goaltending arguably is better. And so, yeah, I'm still scared of Calgary and still scared of Colorado. But I'm not scared of anybody else in the West. So if we can go win the Colorado series in the second round, then all bets are off and we easily have a chance to beat Calgary uh, in the finals and then easily have a chance to beat whoever comes out of the East. Now, the East is going to be a shootout crap show. And if they beat each other up out in the East and go to seven game series the whole, the whole time, you know, that's where, um, you know, any, all bets are off. Right. But if you have a Florida team or, or, you know, potentially uh, Tampa Bay or, or Carolina, something like that. If you have, you know, one of those three or four teams out there that breeze through their series and they're fresh and they're fast, that would be a super tough series. Can we and can we count on the Maple Leafs to bow out in the first uh, first round as has been the norm? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna write them out right now. Don't don't <laughs> don't care who they're playing. Just write them out now. They're probably gonna lose. Probably get swept. John Tavares, whoever else is up there in Toronto, it's like a star-studded best team in the NHL is what I hear every year. And all I see is them lose in the first round of the playoffs every year. I love it, by the way. It's great. Here's the problem, and I, I think you know a little bit about this. But the problem is, their division is outstanding. They have arguably the two best teams in the league, in their division in Tampa Bay and Florida. So in the first round, they're going to get Tampa Bay. Um, and so when you get Tampa Bay in the first round, now now, potentially Toronto could slip. Um, down to four, but even if they slip down to four, they're playing Florida. So, like, they're playing Tampa Bay or Florida first round. How how do you win that if you're Toronto? <laughs> so, it's it's just beautiful to me how, and, and I never root against people unless it's the Packers or Cowboys or Wisconsin Badgers or Iowa Hawkeyes, okay? Truly, I don't really root against, but it is kind of fun, don't get me wrong, to play into, you know, Toronto losing first round. If Toronto makes the playoffs and loses in the first round each of the next five years, it would probably be one of the most hilarious bits of my entire life, sports wise. Just turn, just turn them into the to the to the Bills, the Bills yeah. from the '90s, lose four four Super Bowls in a row. So um, yeah, hilarious. Absolutely, we're we're almost to our, our uh, allotted time limit hour that our wives give us. Yes, sir. Um, we'd be I'd be remiss if I we didn't at least mention March Madness. And I'm let me just apologize. I know nothing about basketball. And Mitchell, (laughs) I think you're in the same boat. We are two men who don't know the game of basketball. I also just genuinely don't care about basketball. Um, and and that's on me. I really don't. I don't understand the game. I don't understand how a team can be up by 30 at one point in the second period, and then it's a six-point game in the fourth quarter, and then they end up winning by 15. Like I, I, I do not understand the 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 ebbs and flows of the game. Um, but with all that being said, it is March Madness. Gonzaga is currently losing as the number one seed and f- one of the tournament favorites to Arkansas, the four seed. They are losing 
as it stands right now, 58 to 66. How's your bracket doing? Um, my bracket has been busted for a little while. Um, although Saint, Saint truth Peter. be told, truth be told, I did have Gonzaga losing uh, round of 16. So if Gonzaga loses tonight, I would have called that. Um, but here's my here's my bracket buster. Is I really believed Baylor would make it to the Final Four. I know they're, they're the one seed, but it's hard to replicate success and, and experience when you won the championship the year before. I didn't have them winning, but I had them making at least the Final Four. And I had Tennessee um, as well making it uh, super far. And so, you know, when you have those combos... Uh, not very good for your bracket, but I, I've, I've, I've picked some good ones. I picked some upsets that I nailed. Um, but overall it is, a, a it's a tanker of a bracket for me. <laughs> hey Mitchell. Yes, sir. Did you hear the rumor about butter? Ooh, did I hear the rumor about butter? No. Well, I'm not going to spread it. Thank you guys so much for everything and, uh, joining us. Have yourself a